0: Welcome to The Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them. Please rise, part is now in session. All right, welcome to The Great Trials Podcast. This is Steve Lowry with Yvonne Godfrey, uh, and maybe a little bit of input from Raz Misher. So uh, Yvonne, how are you doing today? And this is a different show. So you want to tell everybody what we're doing?
1: This is a different show. Yeah, we're we're actually really excited about this. You know, a lot of times it can feel like, um, you know, we hope we're putting some content out there that's useful and our guests are very generous to share um, their knowledge with everyone. But we want to make it We want to make the podcast as useful to people as possible, um, lawyers and non lawyers alike. So, we want to encourage people to send their questions in. Um, A lot of other podcasts you might listen to do that. And we want to do that too. If you've got a question about a case we talked about or a question about something in general, um, a question about something you wish we'd talk more about, um, please let us know. Find us out at um, the Great Trials Podcast on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Um, You can send us an email at um,
0: info at great trials dot com I, I got the inf- information thank it's you In- steve info, I-N-F-O. Um, and, and our handle is at great trials podcast which uh, you know if you're uh, good with instagram and facebook I think that's how you find us
1: yes yes you can find us that way and just send us a direct message on there um, and just ask us it'll be easier for us to keep track of them that way than um comments but um, and just ask us any questions that you're thinking of we'd really love to have some questions to answer and and mix those into some of our episodes um yeah
0: and i think we'll do it we'll, we'll try not only you know for us to give our answers depending on what the question is but also ask our guests and uh and get some input from them uh and uh and see what they say so uh, it should be fun so we hope uh people have questions and we hope you send them in and we'll do our best to get them answered
1: yeah, absolutely. We want this to be interactive. We want you to know that we do care um, what people, um, we do care what you think about the episodes. We do care about making them useful. Um, we do. And, and, and not just because of the reviews. <laughs>
0: <laughs> although, although we should remind everybody, if you can rate and review us, go on a rate and review us. Give, give us good ones though. Please. please.
1: Rate, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, i uh yeah exactly i keep i keep waiting for i'm never i'm not going to get this ikea money people i'm not going to get these big <laughs> this these big podcast ad money without That's your right. you rate reviewing and <laughs> rating reviewing and subscribing um but no and you know steve and i know that a lot of times we ask the questions that we are thinking of or we ask a lot of listeners the same questions to hear different perspectives on it but you might be listening and thinking like why don't they ever ask you yeah. know whatever yeah. so um Let us know and we will and we'll ask. Um, but so Steve, so what are we gonna do today? I think Um,
0: what we're I think what we're doing today is we're doing a uh I don't know if it's a mini interview or an interview of each other. Um, just sort of like, you know, our deepest, darkest secrets is what's (laughs) gonna come out. So I think. Right. I mean, is that the idea?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we're really going to go like just blow past like any sort of the um, professional or like personal boundaries and just go right for like the deepest, darkest right, um, right, trauma, yeah. blackmail material, etc. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and let's just put it out there.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> spe- speaking of deep, dark trauma, before we dig into that, we do want to ask Raz. <laughs> about, um, he just took the LSAT and we talked about it in one of our last episodes, um, one of our most recent episodes about how he was doing that from home during COVID time. So he had to be in a room that he, he took them around and showed them and he was taking it at like eight o'clock at night. So Raz, tell us how it went. I, I was very worried you were going to have technical issues somehow. Tell us everything.
0: And what um, okay. time did you go to bed? <laughs> actually like 4
2: a.m. because I <laughs> drove to another part of the state and got drunk with a friend after. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Which
0: is what you have to do. That's right. You cannot, you you cannot just go to sleep after taking the outside. No. Mean, no, I was, that too, would I was be, too hyped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but it was, it wasn't that
2: bad. It was weird because of the technical aspect of it. And at first my speaker didn't work. So they had to send me to another tech person to hook, you know, help me get through that. Oh my God. Uh, but I figured it out before they sent me to them.
1: Yeah, so, of course, whatever. you're a producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, so you had to show them the room. You had to show them both your ears. You can only use like these type of earplugs if you want to use an earplug, nothing wired or corded. Um, you have to show them your hands and your your forearms. Um, do a 360 of the room. I have a, a second monitor in here. I had to take the monitor out. I have to use my like show them that I turn my phone off and put it in a place where they can see it. So it's uh it's show them under the table, the tabletop, the door, everything. And somebody's watching you the
0: whole time taking. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's (laughs) one person
2: that's watching maybe five to ten people at once. That's
0: what I'm, that's what I'm guessing. And this, and this footage is going to be put on some bizarre website out there, just like (laughs) watching students take the LSAT. (laughs) Right. Showing me picking my nose because I forgot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my
1: God. So then for the like multiple choice questions and stuff, I guess, I guess maybe they're all like that. Are you, um, doing, you're doing those on the computer? Like, is there, is there like a test booklet you get or it's just all on the screen?
2: Oh, yes. It's all on the screen. But I have a you do have scratch paper. So yeah. you have five, five sheets of blank paper, computer paper. You have to show them each side of the paper before the yeah,
1: test. Yeah. Yeah. At
2: the end of the test, you have to, like, tear it up so they see you destroy it. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so
1: I was I would really struggle with not being able to, like, mark out the answers I had ruled out, you know, mm-hmm. or like, um mm-hmm. You know, like for, for the things that I can't remember what the sections are called, you know, but all the reading and stuff that you can't yeah, like reading
2: comp. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah, you yeah, can't you like mark up. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so on. Luckily, like on the L.A. L.S.A.C. website, they have a ton of practice tests and you can practice um, all your highlighting and underlining and marking out. So I was pretty used to that, actually doing it. Got it. Doing that but, on the screen. Yeah, doing yeah. on the screen. So they have like five different highlight colors you can use. You can x out a question if you think the answer is wrong. All this stuff: yeah. underline, highlight, erase. But uh, but I, Steve, you said last time that you enjoy just using a paper and pencil, right? Yeah. And I, I do too, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, definitely. It does feel weird on screen. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that's just. I mean that's hard. Like even if it's just a a scantron, just the just having it there. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, that would, that would be tough. I mean, I do think, look, obviously that's the way things are going to continue to move. So if you can make that switch to learning that way and reading that way and, and, and working all based on screens, that's obviously the way things are going to be done more and more, but man, I I would struggle with that for sure.
2: I, I do have a horror story of a friend who took the, was trying to take the bar virtually last week and his microphone broke Oh, no. And they had to cancel the entire test because he couldn't (laughs) add another microphone at the last minute. And he couldn't fix the one he had. So he has to wait until I think next year to take the bar.
0: That's that is I mean, that is a nightmare because, you know, you you work so hard to get ready for the bar and you're ready to take it. Then and then at that point, you just want to get it over with and then to know that you got to wait months. Oh, my God. Yeah. I
1: mean, that's the other thing. I mean, there's two administrations a year. And if you. Are looking for a job where you have to be a licensed lawyer. That's yeah. six more months that you can't yeah. work as a that's a right. licensed a fam- yeah, lawyer. Fam-
2: family to support, all that stuff. You know. Mm. Yeah.
1: Oh, that is that is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. My
2: yeah.
1: my palms yeah. are sweating.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm I wanted to cry for him. It was, was yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's awful. That's awful. Well, and you know, the thing is stuff like that happens. I mean, we, I mean, any lawyer who uses technology has been in the courtroom when at at some point something doesn't uh, go right. Unless legal technology services is working for you, which one of our sponsors, Uh, but in which which
1: case their computers always work, but one time their entire table collapsed under the weight of (laughs) the computers. That's right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh that was but, one uh, of my favorite yeah. <laughs> moments
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean so so stuff like that just happens and then to know that it, it's going to cost you six months of prep time yeah. and
2: you know uh it's yeah I and which probably. wouldn't have happened if it wasn't virtual you know if it was right. in person it wouldn't would not have been an issue
0: yeah oh yeah Dude. Well, so, uh, so in Raz, you've promised us that, uh, you're not going to look at your results and you're just going to do this live on air. Right. you're going to open up and tell everybody,
2: <laughs> Oh my! <God>. All right, <laughs> No,
1: <laughs> no way. Oh my God.
2: I already um, signed up to take a second in October. Right. <laughs> I, I think I did decent, but I, I feel like I could do better. I
1: I feel like you can always do better. I I did significantly better the second time. I think there's Mm -hmm. something about just getting that first one out of the way, um, Mm -hmm. in that formal test environment.
0: I did not do it a second time. And I'm not saying it's because I did great the first time. I just, I don't know. I I think I did good enough and I I just didn't want to do it again.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I, I did not want to do it again. And part of the reason that I, that I did was because I had taken it decided to start working right after college, decided to start working instead. I didn't do that great. Um, decided to start working instead. So my test score was already old. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I decided to take and do a little more prep. I hadn't done any prep the first time, decided to actually take it seriously and do it again the second time. Um, and it's one of those things I'm really glad I did. There are other standardized tests that I only took once. Um, like, I think ACT and SAT, I both just took once. So I wish I would have taken those again, seeing what happened with my LSAT score. I think I would have, mm. would have improved if I had done it again. So yeah. anyway.
2: Um, can, I, can I ask you guys the first question? Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is something similar to what I usually used to ask all my, my guests on my radio show in Savannah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what is your superpower? What is something you do better than anybody else? Uh, <laughs> and that's it for me. Uh,
0: uh, oh man. Well, you want, you want to go first, Yvonne or?
1: No, I want you to go first. <laughs> Unless you don't know what well, your answer
0: is. I, I think I know what my answer is. And I'm, I, I really don't want to make this sound like I think I'm just great, but I, I and Yvonne has seen this. I, I think I just say, I really am good at, at cross-examining people. <laughs> and I think I'm uh, good at pinning them down and, uh, and sometimes I can be, um, uh, not the easiest guy to get along with once, once, you're under the heat of the, uh, of the questioning. But, uh, <laughs> but I, that, that's what, as far as, I mean, and I enjoy every part of trying a case and I, and that, you know, um, and I take all of them very seriously. And I think that, um, that, that they're all important. I mean, voir dire opening, closing are all extremely important, but I, but the part that, and a lot of lawyers are like this, you know, when you get a good cross-examination going, uh, it just, there's nothing better in my mind.
1: That's a great answer. I, and I so I would say I wish I wish my answer was different because I, I think mine is probably my greatest strength and weakness, which is empathy. Um, I think I'm a very empathetic person. And so that really serves me well when it comes to relating to our clients, relating to our coworkers and getting along with people that I need to kind of win over a little bit, you know, like um, treating physicians or or witnesses or people who don't necessarily want to deal with your case, you know, kind of winning those people over. But the flip side is during Steve's (laughs) cross-examination moments, for example, (laughs) I it's torture. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I've mentioned it on the show before, but I get like awkward when I watch the office, I get uncomfortable right. with fake <laughs> awkward moments, <laughs> let alone real confrontation. Um, so I still think, I, I think that that's, that's probably my superpower, but it's a little too overpowered. I wish I could take it down a notch.
0: <laughs> you know, one thing I, I will say, it, and I'm not trying to make this like all oh, the things we do great. I mean, I feel like you know, we, we work hard, but, um, I think listening is an underestimated, um, uh, power for lawyers It is, you know, it's always good to be able to talk, but to really listen to what people say and then to, you know be able to change, you know, where you're going with either your questions or your argument or whatever, based on what people say. So I, I've always taken great pride in, in taking the time to listen and listen as best I can uh, to what, you know, the witness is saying or what another lawyer is saying, or obviously what the judge is saying. Uh, but just listening and listening closely and then knowing how that's affecting either your argument or your questioning, things like that. So I think listening is also a extremely important thing that I, I try to do. Uh try to do well,
1: yeah, I feel like you do that really well. You remember what people say you you sort of i mean almost to the point that I think this is why the your cross examination can be really tough is because you will really latch on to you know you'll pick out pick up the specific word choice that somebody's used and and really hone in on that and I think you're right i think I think that's one of the mistakes that I have made um for sure it in, in especially at early depositions is if you're thinking too much about what you need to ask or your checklist of things you want to ask or your outline, which I don't necessarily recommend having a detailed one, but you know, if, if you're thinking about that, if you're thinking about yourself and You know, can other people tell him a newbie, or was that a stupid question, or whatever? Right. Then you're not listening to what the witness is saying and adapting to what the witness is saying. And I think that's hard to get a hold of. I mean, to get it to get the hang of.
0: Well, it is because you're in a a high stress situation. You're you're, you know most likely nervous. All of us get nervous, Uh, but being able to do that is important. And and we've all seen lawyers who come in with their checklist and they they're just going down the checklist and you can and you can even tell like when the witness says something you're like, well that's really interesting and then they just keep going down their checklist. You're like, well they're not listening to what the witness is saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: and it's and it's, it 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 um it comes off so so badly and and you miss really big points. Um so, you know, um I guess yeah. that's that's one thing I uh, you know, as far as a tip, listen really well. And, yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, one of the things I would love to hear what our, what our listeners think about, you know, if they could either work this into a question or send us a, a message about is, um, I have talked to a lot of, of different lawyers since I started practicing about what they do in depositions and, um, cause I, I always feel I could get better at them and, um, and I do struggle, I think, with either listening to what the witness is saying and then leaving and, and thinking of something I didn't ask, or you know, sticking with my outline too much and then being like, did I ask, what did they say about this? Did I ask this? But yeah. um I, I'm really so one of the pieces of advice that I had gotten from somebody was um it was somebody who loves the uh like the live transcript system. I can't remember what
0: it's right. called, but uh, like Yeah. Now it's your there's right. a name for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and you can get it from any core reporter. They'll put you up a little screen and, the, and you'll just see the transcript. Going yeah, by it's like sure. a little
1: iPad. And so it's running. And now, so I'm a very visual learner. So I could see that helping me pick up more on what the witness is saying. Right. Because I'm then I'm reading my question as it's as it's being displayed and reading what they're saying. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a live transcript, sort of like closed captions on TV. But then I'm like, or would I just be super distracted? Like when you do watch closed captions on like a live TV show and you end up and they're behind what's on the screen. And so then you end up like only reading the captions or only watching the screen right. and not doing both. Um, I'm really interested in what our listeners, our, our lawyer listeners think about that. Um, I don't, And have you ever tried it, Steve?
0: Yeah, I've I definitely used it, especially in, in two occasions. I find it to be really helpful. One is if you've got a really complex, long deposition, and you're going to need to go back through and figure out what they said. And then the other is where you're doing a deposition through a translator. Um, you know, we've we've taken several depositions in in, in various countries. Um, you know, and it, especially uh, in my experience, when you're deposing somebody who speaks Japanese, for instance. The whatever you say, it can sound like a uh, it can take a long time to translate what you say and then they answer back you know, and then, and then it's, um, and then you finally get the answer back. And sometimes you're kind of like, well, what was my point with yeah, that question? Yeah, where like, was I going? So, so you, you know, if, if, so I, I actually find it whenever depositions are being translated, I find that very helpful. That way I can always kind of keep track of like, oh yeah, this is what I was asking. And, um, and then anytime you've got something that's going to be like a, a complex or a, just a long deposition and you might need to bring stuff back up. Uh, those two, uh, those two occasions, I think it works really well. I, that, you know, there are some lawyers who use it for every single deposition they take. And I think it's probably not a bad practice. I just haven't found that I felt like I've needed to use it for every deposition, but I, but I have used it on certain ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've found the, the, the perfect system yet. You know, like if you go, if you have a witness that, you know, you just have to cover certain documents with then that provi- can provide some structure, right? And, yeah. But then sometimes it's like, okay, do I just want to have a, a notes on my computer where I'm sort of typing as I go along because I can type really quickly and um, and sort of keep my own you know, quasi running transcript and my outline is there, but then I'm sort of like, oh, I really hate being too attached to the computer. Yeah. And then you do, I don't know. I usually end up doing a mix. And so then I've got some stuff on my computer, some stuff in like a quick, like sort of bullet list of things I want to cover and some documents somewhere else. And I'm pretty disorganized the whole time. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, you know, and it's funny, you know, the, uh, I, I spend a lot of time on outlines. Like I, I, I will do pretty detailed outlines, like, especially if I want to make sure I remember documents and quotes from documents and things like that. But then during a deposition or a cross-examination, I rarely use the outline, except I might go back through it on a break or something, but because I found that in, uh, just the, just the, um, the practice and effort of putting together the outline really makes, at least for me learn the information really yeah. well. Yes, uh, yeah. And after I've done that then I it's like I don't need the outline anymore. But Agree. if I hadn't if I hadn't done the outline I wouldn't know it as well as I do. Agree, it's the process of making it. So Yvonne, the internet is getting more and more crowded, especially ever since the pandemic, and it's getting harder and harder to get noticed online. And you can have all the great verdicts in the world, but if nobody knows about them, then they're not going to come and hire your law firm. So you need to find a company like Digital Law Marketing.
1: That's right. It turns out that what you put on the internet is no good if people can't find it. And Steve, we've talked about this, but now that I finally know what SEO is, which is search engine optimization, it's really important that your firm's site is, is maximizing the hits that it's going to get. And something that digital law marketing is doing that's really cool right now is they're offering free SEO audits uh, for law firm campaigns. So that's something our listeners should take advantage of.
0: Yeah, because it's hard to get around the internet and know how to make yourself visible without having somebody help you. And they are the experts in this. And not only will they help you design your website if you need to, they'll do your content marketing, they'll do your search engine optimization, as Yvonne just said, they'll do your pay-per-click marketing, social media marketing, and they also will offer full management on Google's new local service ads, which we just learned about and are trying to get into, but it's another way that you can put yourself out there and get people to know who you are. And digital marketing is great at it.
1: Exactly. And you know, one of the things I think is cool is that you work with them and they really make you feel like they know your firm and they know you and that they help you with your web presence so that it feels individual. It doesn't feel cookie cutter. It feels like they know the people at your firm and they get what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah. It's not like they already have a website done and just give you one that's already been done, but they will spend time with you, get to know your personality, put your personality into the website and you should go visit them at Digital Walmart. Marketing.com. That's digital law marketing.com. Tell them,
1: tell them we sent you. So shifting gears a little bit, here's something I'm curious about for you. Cause I um, I was doing this recently where, you know, a newer case, newer clients, you know, case is still under investigation. And, you know, there's all this stuff that you've got to cover with with clients when you're especially when you're signing them up um or they're retaining you and you're and you're still looking into their case, right? There's right. some that they come in and you don't know if you're going to be able to file, you need more information, you might need an expert's evaluation, whatever. Um and I feel like it's um I feel like there's so much you have to do in some of those initial conversations, right? You've got right. to manage those expectations and then you've also got to Make sure you cover the stuff with the clients that you that you forget some people don't know covering like, you know, preserving confidentiality, covering, you know, what's a good idea and a bad idea as far as social media goes. Um, and I always I feel like I always just struggle with that. I don't struggle with that balance, but that can be just such a beast of a meeting, I guess.
0: (laughs) You're talking about like the first or the first or second, or one of the initial sort of meetings with your client to kind of learn the story, learn the case, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Like maybe you've had a call (laughs) with one of the family members to get some initial information before you decide, um, you know, before both sides decide that this is a relationship that you want to, you know, um, sign an agreement and investigate, you know, further, and I'm, I'm just like, um, I guess my question is kind of all over the place, but in your experience, you know, what are, what do you feel like are the keys to coming You also don't want to like discourage somebody, right? right? They've gone through this right. horrible loss, usually of either of a loved one or their own injury or something. So you don't want to be discouraging. You don't want to be negative, but I also feel like there's so many do's and don'ts you have to cover. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering how you approach those meetings so that they don't seem... I just had one where I felt like I was very luxury.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I I understand that. I, you know, I guess I try to approach those meetings um, where I'm just, I just really want to get to know the client and I want to get to know their story. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely go through sort of the facts of, of, of what happened to them and, and their, their background and stuff like that. But as far as like, you know, really detailed questions, you know, we we have a, a you know questionnaire that we're going to have our clients fill out, which I which our paralegals do. So I leave that to them, and um, and then as far as like making sure that we get really really uh, you know all this sort of technical detailed information, I, I'll get some of that, but a lot of that I'll leave to either the paralegal or associate who's going to follow up with you know like a specific sort of like a checklist, because because really what I want to do is just kind of hear. Their story hear you know what they're saying and uh, just have a conversation with them and and try to listen as best I can to what you know what's going on with them and then as far as stuff that we can follow up on we do that now in cases where you know you know something bad has happened to someone and either, there's not going to be anybody who you can bring suit against or that you know, maybe the damages aren't enough. Um, yeah, those those are tough situations. And I try to be as straightforward with them as I as, with the clients as I can and just explain to them that you know, I understand that what you know, whatever reason they're coming into your office um is one of the worst things that's ever happened to them. Um even though if you compare one client to the other one client may, may be you a lot better off than the other. Sure, um, but, but to that person, whatever they're in your office for, that's the worst thing that's happened to them. And so I always try to understand that, that they, that the reason they're there is because they feel like something really bad has happened to either them or a loved one, and that they want somebody to listen to them and they want somebody to, you know, explain to them, you know, what their options are. So I try to do that. And then I try to just be straightforward and say, you know, unfortunately, you know, for these reasons, it's not a case that would, that our firm could pursue. If, if I think that somebody else might be able to pursue it, then I'll, you know, I'll give them some other lawyers names. If I think that they're just not going to win at all, um, you know, they just don't have a legal claim, then I'll do my best to explain that to them. And, um, and just, you know, explain that, you know, it's a, it's a terrible, tragic situation, but you know, under the law, here's how the law works and you're not going to be able to recover on a claim for that. So just try to, I don't know. I guess I, I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but I think, um, I try to do my best. Just, just, uh, one getting to know the client, hearing their story and just, uh, and there's a, a classic mistake is leaving my phone on. Um, so it rings in the middle of a podcast. I couldn't really um, hear it. No, you couldn't. Okay. <laughs> I got, I'm going to put it on silent. Um, this is what gets, gets uh, judges yelling at you during the middle of a hearing yeah. is when you leave your phone on. Yeah. Um, so, um, Yeah. So basically just trying to really, uh, you know, understand, listen to them. I mean, as you were saying before, empathize with them, you know, just kind of understand what they're going through and, and you know, obviously try and figure out, you know, do they have a case? Who do they have it against? Is there a realistic, you know, uh, ability to recover in the case? Because the last thing anybody wants especially when they've been through a tragic situation is is then to get involved in a process that could take two three four years and then get nothing at the end of it I mean that only puts salt in the wound so right you you know you if if you think that's gonna happen it's better to tell them early on and yeah. um, and you know and and hopefully and and I'll, I'll be honest i mean not <laughs> not everybody likes to hear that so sometimes you know you'll get a uh, not so great reaction, but generally most people are pretty open to listening and and um, and hearing what you have to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you have to do it. I mean, I it, and I think that's good advice because I I think one, I think it's nice when you can divide. There's so much work that comes on with a, with a client whose case you want to investigate and hopefully file. Um, But there's so much work that goes on in the beginning, you know, not just the investigation, all the stuff we've talked about to so many of our guests about in terms of the importance of acting quickly, if there's maybe video out there, the importance of, you know, record preservation and, and all that kind of thing. And then, so you've right, got all and the that
0: social media stuff. Yeah, that's, that's stuff that stuff I always you know have to right, remember stuff,
1: about. Is, <clears throat> is stuff going to disappear from the manufacturer's website, right, or yeah. you know whatever? So there's all that stuff. Then there's you know then there's the stuff that's sort of like getting to know the clients, getting to know their story, getting to know what information they have, preserving your own evidence that you might have. Then there's the conversations that you need to have with them that just you know to manage their expectations and let them know what to expect. And then there's all the other stuff that, you know, is a firm sort of best practices stuff that you want to, that you want right. to cross off, whether it's, you know, getting your, your paperwork together, if you need HIPAA authorizations or, or whatever, and, and, you know, talking to them about just talking to your clients about general stuff like social media and who to talk to the case about who you can talk to the case about right. who, you, who right. yeah. you can talk to about <laughs> the case <laughs> right. and who you right. can't. Yeah. Um, but I do think it makes sense. It, it's a better, it's nice when you can split that up, right? When you have, yeah. you have some experienced paralegals who can, can go through a lot of the list, take care of a lot of that so that you can kind of focus on getting your relationship, getting a relationship with the clients. Cause that can go a long way when you have that that trust and and they have that confidence in you.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, and I'll say for any lawyers listening, especially ones who are starting maybe opening up their own practice or starting out, I mean, hiring good staff uh and taking care of them is just it's the most important thing you can do. Um uh, you know, um a, a good paralegal or a great paralegal, like we have some uh, fantastic paralegals at our firm. Uh, I mean, they are worth their weight in gold and they're, they're, um, can help you so much, not only with, you know, making sure you've got everything you need for a case, but, you know, helping with clients, um, you know, so, um, don't, I guess my, I guess one thing I would say is don't skimp on hiring a paralegal or a, um, or a, a, a legal assistant who you know isn't qualified or doesn't seem interested i mean it's okay to hire people who are less experienced just take the time to train them and take right. the time to to get them involved because i', I we've had we've had some I mean, we have some fantastic paralegals who when they first came to the firm didn't really know all that much. Uh, but dove in and worked hard, and you know, and and um, and learned. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not saying don't hire somebody who who is inexperienced because some of them can become your best uh, paralegals. But just take the time to um, you know uh, to hire good paralegals, hire good uh, um, staff, and and to really. Help them understand what you're trying to accomplish for the clients, and um, yeah, help help them understand your clients and how important it is to them. And they, and they're they're. Um, I feel like we're blessed to have really really good uh, staff, and and they're so important to us.
1: Agree, agree. And I think you know, back to the empathy thing, sort of figure out what they're the best way to communicate your appreciation for them. And then make sure you do it, you know, because I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of attorneys, um, men and women probably I think more men who are like, yeah. well, if I'm not yelling at you, then you're doing a right. good job. Right. right and it's right. like, well, they kind of, it's nice to hear that you're doing a good job or yeah. to do certain things to show someone that you appreciate the work that they're doing, because it can get really hard. You know, when a client is upset about something and they can't get a hold of you as the lawyer, they're going at your staff, they're going at your receptionist, they're going at your um, paralegal and which is not to say you have angry clients calling all the time, but you know, like you said, most of these people are dealing with us because they're going through something terrible. So right. emotions are high, they're trying to navigate a new process, you know, and then that's on top of just the sneaky marketing calls you get and, mm-hmm. and just yeah. all that other stuff that's trying to get through your your process <laughs> to get to get to the yeah. lawyer. Um, but they, they do, you know, staff is so important. And when, when I Shortly after I got hired our team needed a paralegal as well. It was when it was when our firm had kind of shifted to more of um teams instead of different just different people working on different cases and so right. we shortly after I was hired we also needed a paralegal and I had been at the firm for like a month and I remember uh Jeff basically telling me that um something that something about how it was way harder to find a good paralegal than it was to find a good associate. Um, right, just right. like just that associates were like a dime a dozen, basically, which I right, thought it's right. pretty rude considering I just been hired.
0: <laughs> After all we said about how you treat your staff, I mean, that's a great uh, manager. Yeah. No, a no.
1: little, little rude.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> um, But I guess it all worked out.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, well, uh, Yvonne, are we, um, I was going to interview you a little bit about your background. Um, is is that the, is that the plan for this? Um,
1: I don't know. I wasn't sure if we were supposed to focus on like, um, questions that we'd ask each other about, um, like practicing or I don't know. What were you going to ask me?
0: I was going to, well, I, first of all, I was going to, you know, I don't think we've ever, uh, I, I don't think I've ever introduced you like the way we do a lawyer and kind of talk about all of your accomplishments and things oh, like that. Oh,
1: please don't you do that right now. You definitely have great
0: accomplishments. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I want everybody to know. <laughs>
1: I just broke out into a sweat. Please I, I mean, don't I do mean, that Yvonne right
0: has been named as an on-the-rise attorney by the Daily Report in 2020. She's been a super lawyer's rising star multiple times. She won the Generation next award um and is a um uh, uh on the GTLA the George Trial Lawyers Executive Committee uh she was a, a a cum laude graduate from UGA law and went to Rhodes College also cum laude was on the Georgia Law Review uh, and, um, it's just an all around fantastic glory. I, and I will tell you something interesting. Cause I was thinking about how would I, how would I want to do this? And so I decided to just type in the name Yvonne Godfrey and just see what the autofill did. Okay. And, and so I could just learn. And, um, did you know that Yvonne Godfrey is a character on general hospital? No. And, and people were asking whether or not Yvonne Godfrey was killed off of general hospital. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then the, uh, another one was, is called the world's strictest parents. It's Yvonne Godfrey world's strictest parents. And apparently you, Yvonne were the uh, host of a talk show in Australia called world's strictest parents about so parenting.
1: I'm very familiar with Australian Yvonne Godfrey. Okay. She writes, she writes books on parenting and, um, and is really ruining my, uh, my, my, uh, Google results, my SEO is, she is really messing with it. She's, I guess the more famous Yvonne Godfrey in terms of real people. I did not know there was a fictional Yvonne Godfrey, but Australian Yvonne Godfrey, um, is kind of ruining my game a little bit. What were you going to say, Raz?
2: If you have kids, you should buy like all her books and put them in (laughs) in your library. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And tell your kids you
0: wrote the book on parents. I know you can't get over on me. (laughs) <laughs> Let me look up what I wrote. Uh, you know. <laughs>
1: Let me see. Who's the expert on this? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. oh, yeah. Me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yvonne, uh, you know that the practice of law since the pandemic has started has completely changed.
1: Completely changed. A lot more pajamas involved for me.
0: Yes, yes, a lot more working from the computer, yes, and only getting <laughs> dressed from the uh, from the waist up. But you know who has helped that change and that transition immensely in our practice and can help everybody else in theirs is legal technology services.
1: That's right, I mean, being good at doing things virtually, at doing things through Zoom, through video conference, online, it's more important now than ever.
0: I'll say Zoom or WebEx or whatever you use now, Legal technology services has completely changed how they do things in order to get you organized, looking good. Our depositions, our hearings, our mediations have all changed. And a big part of that is because we do them all virtually and we're doing them with the help of legal technology services. So they get our exhibits in order, um, you know, and you call up the exhibits by number, they'll highlight them, they'll enlarge them, they'll do whatever they want. And it actually flows really well. I do have to say, I think, my depositions are more organized now than they were before the pandemic, because I used to just walk in with like a giant box of, documents and then I'd pull out the documents and go through them and uh, now I'm much more organized because of legal technology services
1: yeah and I mean LTS I'm gonna I'm gonna call them LTS because we're yes. on a first name basis <laughs> you know my favorite thing about them is that we work with them a lot their staff is really highly trained and you can always count on them to represent you well whether they're doing your trial technology when we have in-person trials one day or if they're handling your depositions or they're doing, settlement videos, other kinds of videos documenting stuff for you, you can always count on them to conduct themselves well. Clients like them, judges like them, courts like them, lawyers like them.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I have to say is uh, when we're in trial, while I think we do pretty good in front of juries and hopefully they like us, they always like our trial techs, whether it's Bob, Taylor, Quentin, David, Liz, Liz just any one of the people over there, they're all fantastic. And of course, Melanie who runs the ship over there, but they do more than just exhibits. They do day in the life videos. They do settlement documentaries. They do demonstratives and everything they do is just excellent. And you can look them up at LTSAtlanta.com. And I can say that if you call them and tell them that you heard about them on the great trials podcast, then you get 10% off of your first service. So look them up at LTSAtlanta.com. And I do wanna say, even though they're based in Georgia, they do work nationwide. And they, I know they've done trials all over the country, uh, but look them up at LTSAtlanta.com. So Yvonne, I was gonna ask you, cause I, I, at least when we kind of had this idea, we were gonna you know, get like where we came from kind of thing. But uh, how did you, I guess, decide you uh, wanted to be a lawyer or were interested in the law?
1: I lucked into it. I totally lucked into it. I, my parents found this, this um, book that I wrote, like one of those things you fill out like in elementary school, like a a form where you're like coloring and stuff. And one of the things was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote that I wanted to be a judge and and drew a picture of myself with a gavel, like behind a podium. I um, don't remember doing that. I don't remember wanting to be a judge or a lawyer growing up. Um, I just didn't know what I wanted to do at all through, through college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew what I liked, um, doing. And I liked, I liked reading and researching and writing. Um, and so, and then I just lucked out with my first job after college. My first serious job, um, was at Motley Rice working for lawyers. Right. And
0: so a very well-known law firm uh, out of, uh, Charleston, South Carolina that, that does cases nationally. I mean,
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: Ron Motley and Joe Rice are sort of well. Ron is passed away now, but uh, uh, we're sort of legends.
1: Yes, and and Ann Ritter, who was basically their right hand woman, and and um, she really took a chance on me. She was managing um, member there at that time, and she really totally took a chance on me, like somebody with no. Um, experience in that field at all who would have to learn everything um but that was it i you know i think i more decided to go to law school and stuff because i thought it was something that i would be good at um and and like doing you know and then so it wasn't you know i feel like i wasn't um i don't have a cool story about it about being driven i didn't have any lawyers in the family i didn't really know what it was going to involve um but i feel like i got lucky you know i sort of just went with my strengths and I, I lucked out, I think finding a place, um, that I really like working and work that I really, uh, feel lucky to be doing. Um, what about you, Steve?
0: Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting for me because, um, I think, you know, when I was a little kid, I don't think a lawyer was something I thought about. There's nobody in my family was a lawyer and, um, you know uh, the the one thing that I remember, and and this uh, might shock you, Yvonne, but I I was uh, pretty good at arguing, even as a small child. <laughs> and so, um, it, all growing up, all my teachers uh, were always like, "Oh, you're going to be a lawyer someday." And uh, and then when they would do like debate and stuff like that, they're like, "Oh yeah, Steve, put Steve on that. He's he's going to be a lawyer someday." So I kind of always heard it like, you know, he's going to be a lawyer. Um, and then you know when I was in college. I, um, worked for, I got a job working for the Maryland attorney general's office and, um, and they were sort of, um, doing investigations. We were in the higher education division and they were doing investigations on like, um, a, a lot of investigations on fraud and colleges that are sort of like not really colleges. Uh, mm-hmm. and I remember they were, they were, um, they were pursuing a case, um, against this guy who had set up this trucking school and then, you know, gotten a bunch of money in and then he bankrupted that company. And then he opened up a brand new trucking school with the same, at the same place with the same assets, you know, and then took a bunch of money in there then bankrupt That was sort of like his MO. So it was, you know, they got into this whole thing. It's where I first learned about piercing the corporate veil and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I remember they needed to serve the owner of the trucking company with a subpoena and they were, and I I don't know why, um, you know, instead of, you know, sending some investigator out to do it, they're like, Steve, you want to do this? And I'm like some college kid. And I was like, yeah, I want to go do this. And so I remember driving up in my little Honda civic into this like trucking school surrounded by like all these big, uh, you know, truck drivers and, you know, just asking for, uh, I was like, you know, you know where I can find, uh, you know, such and such. And, uh, and so they, they all direct me to sort of this back, uh, you know, back office. And it, it, by the way, in the, at this trucking school, it was a bunch of trucks and pickup trucks, but then there was a, um, a Ferrari park there. And so I was like, I was like, Oh, I think I know who drives. the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, Oh my gosh! Uh, um, so, so, he, so anyway, so this guy comes out and he's all happy to meet me. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, here you are, you're being served, you know, with this lawsuit. And then I had to walk back out, you know, uh, it passed all of these, uh, you know, big burly truck drivers and everything, but oh uh, that just, uh, you know, I, that sort of, you know, I knew at that point that I, uh, wanted to be involved in, in, uh, in, in, a you know, in the law in some aspect. And, um, and then, you know, and then of course I went to law school after that. And um, it, I wasn't actually, I wasn't actually sure that I wanted to do like, you know, plaintiff's personal injury or represent injured people. In fact, I went to law school initially with the idea that I was going to work on, you know, for public interest groups on the environment. And that's why I went to the law school I did out in uh, Portland, Oregon, Um, Lewis and Clark, great environmental law school. Um, But uh, one of the first jobs that I worked at after law school, this is even before I um, had, well, I I think I had taken the bar, but I didn't know whether or not I had passed. Um, And um, there, this case came in with this little uh, girl who uh, had been laying on a mattress, and her brother was playing with a scripto tokai um, uh, lighter, and he, uh, he, you know, ended up igniting the mattress, and she got burned severely, uh, like ninety uh, percent of her body, and um, and so we had a case against the uh, against scripto tokai and against the um, um, the mattress manufacturer. I can't remember what it was, but it was the polyurethane foam in there that once once Um, You know, a flame, once you sort of get through the the top surface of polyurethane, it releases this gas that becomes Mm -hmm. extremely flammable and it goes up like a fireball. Um, And I just remember this little girl um, and how sweet she was, even though she was severely deformed. Um, and, but she was the sweetest little girl and, you know, would come up and, you know, we, I would just talk to her and I was, you know, I was the young associate, you know, you, uh, you know, not even, not even a, a real lawyer yet. And, um, in, you know, from that moment on, I was like, you know, that's the kind of work I want to do. I want to work where I help people and where I help people who've been injured like that. Yeah. So
1: Wow. I, I mean, that's, I, I think, like we we know we get to do that now, but I think i you know now that we work with the clients that we do and and but you know there is this point of time, especially if you go right through to law school or or if you don't have lawyers in the family or you didn't work for a law firm you might you know you might not know um what you're in for for good or or bad or what what working in different types types of law or in different sides of a case means for you like i I think my exposure at um at Motley Rice, working there, a lot of what I was working on were cases that were for um, big groups of people, right? So it was, um, some of it was medical articles um, type research for asbestos cases. Some of it was on pollution from chicken poultry poultry processing plants. Um, Some of it was uh, securities fraud related stuff. Um, But so it was always usually... I mean, number one, I wasn't a lawyer or a paralegal, so they weren't I wasn't really meeting any clients. But when I was thinking about um, our clients, it was just this group of people. Um, But what I the reason I knew I still wanted to do that after law school was because of the work that so many of our guests on the show do that that I hope that we do that, which is to uncover something that you would think would be public, or you would think would be checked by the government or some sort of regulatory agency, um, or, you know, that just that, that corporate governance wouldn't allow, um, that, that it, those systems really aren't there. You know, that was, it it was, it's a very, um, rude awakening if you are kind Mm -hmm. of naive about how you think, um, that stuff works. And so that was what I really gravitated towards was the, the, uh, the hard work that um, that trial lawyers in particular do to uncover dangerous information that, that exposes a ton of people, you know, so it was kind of this mm-hmm. macro level <laughs> at first. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it, it it can become a lot more rewarding once you have these personal connections with individual clients. Um but I mean, that to me is the coolest, coolest thing about what we do. But, but like, you know, the story I always tell is that right after I started at our firm, one of the very first things I did was, was jump onto a trial team. That was the trial was set for um, like three months after I started. Um, And it was a tire defect case. And I what I was learning in just those first couple of weeks, I was calling my parents, my grandma, asking them what kind of tires they had in their car, right, yeah. if it had been repaired, not to cheap out on tires, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. all this stuff. They're like, you have literally never cared about tires before. Where is this <laughs> coming from? Um, but, you know, that's it's the cool part about what we do. But, man, then you see it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: no, it's, it's the same thing, you know, cause we do a lot of auto defect work. And I remember when I first, uh, you know, started working on auto defect cases and then, you know, and I think I was uh, driving my family and and friends crazy about, you know, cause I'd start talking to them about what kind of car they drove. And I'm like, well, that car is, you know, that's got this problem, you know, and I don't know if I'd be driving that. You might want to think about something else. <laughs> and I think, I think, you know, some of them were receptive to it, but there were several that were like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Shut up, Steve. Please stop. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, so Steve, so speaking of, I mean, great trials podcast, what do you, if you had just had to think about it on the spot, what do you think is your greatest trial moment? Hmm. <laughs> you know, just like a moment in trial that you come back to that you're like, that was awesome. It doesn't have to be something you did. Although I, I like, for me, it probably would be something I did. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, well, I can remember there are certain times when, um, you know, and, and I, I, I have, I, uh, even the cases that I, I, I don't want to sit here and say that I've won every case. I haven't, uh, I've definitely lost some. And even some of those cases that we've lost, I have just some great memories of the trial. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, one time that I've always sort of enjoyed, um, was, a case that, uh, that we tried with one of our guests, uh, on the show, Barry Iken up in New Jersey. And we had a, um, a very good judge, but she, I would say was a difficult judge, uh, had made a lot of rulings against us. And, and I had screwed up. Um, I've told this story, uh, before, I don't think on the podcast, but, um, I, we, this is going to be a big trial. This woman, this, Rebecca Zach Rocky had, um, was driving a Ford Explorer and she was driving on the garden state parkway. Her throttle gets stuck and she has to kind of unstick it and she loses control and she rolls over the Explorer. And as she does, her arm goes out of the sunroof and she gets a full brachial plexus injury. Uh, so she had basically a paralyzed arm and, um, you know, we, we, you know, bring up a hundred jurors, we, we, we do voir dire, uh, and then I'm giving the opening. She had right before there, there had been a recall on this, um, there, had been a recall on the, the throttle. And so we had put that into the opening that we were going to get into the recall, the fact that Ford had recalled it and the re and part of the claim was the the recall came like a month after the accident happened for uh, Rebecca. And, um, and, But the judge, Ford made a motion right before trial started that we couldn't mention recall in the opening. We thought we could. The judge uh, said, no, you can't mention recall. And so, um, you know, so I go back and I sit with our technology company, which was not legal technology services. I'll just make that clear. It was a different company. And I'm not going to say who. Uh, and I told him, as you know, I said, take out these, you know, five slides or whatever that mentioned recall, and um, and so I'm giving the opening, and uh, and the opening is going great. I, I'm not kidding that there were like two or three jurors that were crying in the opening. You know, were feeling really good about it. And as I'm talking, I look back at the screen, and written as big as you can see across the screen is the word recall. And I'm like, you know, move on, let's go to the next slide. And uh, so I finished the opening and, uh, and, and, you know, as soon as I'm done, you know, Ford's like, well, we, we need something to, we have something to discuss with the, with the court, your honor. And we're like, you know, you ruled out mentioning recall and right behind Mr. Lowry was, was a giant sign of recall. And so the judge declared a mistrial, mistrial. And not only did she declare a mistrial, but if you can imagine that, uh, you know, we're in a, ru- a courtroom full of New Jersey lawyers. We're in New Jersey. And I'm the only out of state lawyer. I'm a Georgia lawyer. So, of course, she thinks she's, she's like, you know, first of all, I don't know why we needed some Georgia lawyer to come up here and help try this case in New Jersey. And then she, uh, you know, and then, of course, thinks that I just disregarded her ruling. Right. Um, you know, and so she, so she was not happy with me is what I is, is what I'm trying to say. She, <laughs> it was not a it was not a good way to start my relationship with this judge. Um, so, you know, so we ended up having to, uh, you know, we we uh, picked a jury the very next day, gave the same opening. Uh, but the jury completely stone faced me, uh, you know, so it, 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 the, the difference between the two juries that I was giving the opening to was dramatic. Right. But so, so that's a long way of getting to what was my. My, my sort of my favorite part of the trial was that the the judge had ruled out all the other incidents of um, uh, of th- stuck throttles from getting to the jury, and um, you, they had put their corporate rep up. And it, uh, during the direct examination of the corporate rep, the Ford lawyer made the um, in my opinion, mistake of saying, you know, he, he put up the technical service bulletin. And for, for anybody that doesn't know, the technical service bulletin is basically where Ford is telling its dealers what the problem is, how you fix it. Um, and in this technical service bulletin, it talked about stuck throttles and it talked about how it could be fixed. And it talked about how it just happened in some explorers. And so he made a big point in asking the corporate representative of saying, see right there, it just says some explorers, right? It's not all of them kind of thing. So um so I was like, well I knew how many some was. So I, so as soon as he sat down, you know, I, I grabbed the document that I was looking for and I said, I said, sir, will you just tell the jury how many Ford explorers some was, you know, and he, you know, he's like having trouble reading the document. And I was like, it's, it's right there, sir. Just read right there. And, uh, and the number was 57,000, <laughs> 57,000 Ford explorers had stuck throttles. And I'm like, so some is 57,000. Well, that, that you, I've never seen it so blatantly. On a jury's face, where like their entire demeanor changed. I mean, it's like the curtain was just lifted back. Yeah. And now they were mad at Ford. And you can see. And um, so, I mean, there's been a lot of really fun parts at trial, but um, that for me really was just like, you know, when you see that happening and, you know, and and you could just feel the whole courtroom change. Once that evidence came out, once the corporate representative had to admit that 57,000 Ford Explorers had a problem with their, with throttles getting stuck. Yeah. I mean, it it was, I mean, I, I want to say the trial went on for quite some time, but it was over for Ford at that point. um, So that, that is definitely up there as part of my favorites. And it was, it was a good way to make up for the fact that, uh, I had mistried the case in the opening (laughs) statement. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that is a good so, story. So Yvonne, how about, in, sorry for that long story, but I'd love to no. tell What you. What, what is, uh, tell us one of your uh, favorite or your most favorite uh, trial um, uh, moment.
1: So I think I, as I've said on the show, I think a lot before, um, I, you know, a lot of my roles at trial. Uh, so I've been all the way through to verdict at trial I think five times, five or six times. And then there's a lot of other cases I've gotten ready, but have have resolved um, right before. And in in those cases, for the most part, I do a lot of the behind the scenes work. I'm doing a lot of the, you know, working on the depositions, working on the PowerPoints, working on the charges, um, working on the motions and limiting, the, you know, all the pre-trial stuff Wrangling witnesses and I'm not doing a lot of the stuff in front of the jury, um, which is kind of how I like it. I don't know if that will continue, but um, I so I don't have these moments of like total glory. And and my favorite trial and moment moment in a trial I was a part of has nothing to do with me. Um, but it was that first trial, that first tire defect case that we had. And our client um, was. um she was, I think she was Bhutanese. I'm not sure. Um, I can't, I can't remember. We had like 16 clients and they were, some of them were from different places, but English was not her first language. She spoke a very small amount of English. She worked at a hotel, um, in housekeeping, but I could communicate with her on breaks on stuff in, in very, um, sort of slow English and simple English. And we would practice together um, on breaks. You know, it was my first trial. She was there alone, her husband. She. It was a wrongful death case for the loss of her husband. Um, and so we kind of bonded during that trial as best that we could with this language barrier because um, she spoke a, a pretty rare language. There were not many translators. And, and so um, the one that we had was basically working for the trial. So we couldn't really uh, interact through the translator on breaks or anything. Um, anyway, so we had, I was newer to the case. So, so other people had known her a little bit longer, but we had kind of taken the approach, um, that a lot of our guests talk about and that, that we've talked about where we didn't do too much. We didn't want her testimony when it was her time to talk about her husband. We didn't want it to be too rehearsed. We didn't want it to be too sort of canned or, or whatever. Um, but I didn't know if, if, how emotional she would get. Um, I don't think any of us really knew. I think a lot of times the people themselves don't really know until they get they get up there. But everything is going through this this translator. And the, it's not one of those like, you know, Spanish or French or where, like you can pick up a word here or there. You have absolutely no idea what's been said until it's translated. And um, so I think just at the very, you know, it was a very short direct of her. Um, and she was asked a question about, you know, just whether she missed her husband or something like that. And she says something and she's very, you know, calm and and collected and, and it, you know, it, the translator, she's saying it in her language and the translator translates it back. And so I don't even know how beautiful it was when she said it, but, you know, she basically said in my culture and my religion, we believe in reincarnation. And if I could be reincarnated, I would want to find my husband in the next life and marry him all over again, um, was her answer to whether she missed him. Right. And like, it was not anything we had ever spoken about. We had never spoken to her about her religion really at all. You know, it was completely just from her heart, totally natural and organic. And it was just like, and of course I'm trying not to cry because I'm like yeah. I don't want the jury to think I'm trying to manipulate them or anything, um, but it was just obviously it was a tragedy, so I can't be like yes <laughs> because it's just sad. Um, but it was just like it's just a moment I'll never forget. You know, it was it was my first trial, so it was already meaningful. But to have a client that just was such a lovely person and was able to express such a profound loss in such a beautiful way, um, it's just such a nice memory.
0: Yeah. Trial I mean, memories. that is, that, that is just uh fantastic and so meaningful. Um, it's, uh, it, I mean, and you can't, uh, you can't plan things like that. I mean, that's because it's just, um, it's just so profound and, and, um, and what a way to express her love for her husband.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, not to make, not to try to make everybody sad.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's funny, you made me think of a, a, a something else when you mentioned that you didn't want to cry in front of the jury, is that um, this is another. Um, a uh, guest that we've had on the show is uh, John Romano, a uh, great lawyer down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, he gave one, He did one of our first podcasts about um, his client who was attacked in a uh, car dealership parking lot. Yeah. Well, I uh, was just in something where his son, Todd Romano was speaking and he was talking about his dad and uh, was talking about how his dad is, gets very emotional in trial and he, and he, he breaks down in tears a lot. And he said that it's it's so well known down in that area that it's a standard motion in Lemony um, from the defense is to to keep John Romano from crying in front of the jury. (laughs) I was like, I wonder how how could you even try to enforce that? But it's so good.
1: It's also like. Telling someone not to cry is just right. like telling them not to laugh. Like yeah. you've just made it a guarantee that they're going to, because now it's that much harder not to like, right, right. you know, <laughs> like if you know, you can't laugh, that's when you need to laugh the most. That's um, right. that's or right. when you're trying not, you know, when you're trying really hard not to cry like me, every time I go to the movies ever in public, <laughs> <laughs> that's the hardest time to not cry. Oh you yeah! Just gotta hope yeah. nobody nobody sees you. Um, but yeah, I wonder. Like I don't know what jurors think about that. Like I think, you know, I think if you've obviously if you've built a rapport with them, like John Romano obviously does, then you know they know it's genuine. Right. Um, but you do kind of. I think especially for me because a lot of times I am, you know, second, third, third chair, and so I'm not doing a lot in front of the jury. I'm doing a lot with the judge. Um, But I'm not doing a lot in front of the jury. And so I don't know what kind of read they have on me, you know, and so I just am always (laughs) thinking about just not, you know, not seeming like I'm doing anything manipulative, not trying to draw any attention to myself, just trying to be invisible, even though they don't miss anything and they notice what I'm wearing and what shoes I'm wearing
0: and <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> ask me questions about it afterwards. And, and, and that happens to everybody. <laughs>
1: Everyone. Exactly. But you know, they're stuck. There's nothing else to look at. You're right. um, you know, like I I get it. I understand it. And well, you know. It works to our advantage sometimes. I'll, I'll,
0: I'll never forget. And uh, Jed, uh, our law partner, tells this story much better than I do. But we were trying another case against Ford. And uh, it was during voir dire And I remember that um, the Ford lawyer was asking a question of a juror. Uh, uh, and I can't remember if they about, you know, preconceived notions about lawyers or something to that effect. And this guy raised his hand and he said something about, you know, uh, that he was in the clothing business and that he was looking at the Ford lawyer's shoes. And he knew that he spent a lot of money on those shoes. And so he knew he was a high priced lawyer kind of thing. And then he points over to Jed's shoes. And he's like, and he's like, and then I look at his shoes and and uh, and I know he's not a high price. lawyer. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we love our our law partner, uh, uh Jed. Uh, he, yeah. he, he, uh, I don't think, I think even he would say he's not known for his, his great fashion. sense. no, of,
1: no, Certain, uh, certainly, certainly not the, great.
0: Fantastic lawyer.
1: Certainly yeah. not the footwear, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Amazing lawyer has taught me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Steve. So we should say that for our listener questions, um, we will give shorter answers than these.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, ours are going to be on forever.
1: Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I do want to I do want to finish on kind of a fun question, uh, and I should point out, Vine, that when you were at Rhodes College, you were an English lit major. So I was going to ask you, do you have a favorite book or a favorite movie? Uh, it could be a legal movie or, you know, just a movie that you think everybody should watch kind of thing. What What would that be?
1: Oh, man, that's a fun <laughs> question, Steve. Um... <sighs> Shoot. <laughs> Shoot. I, okay. okay, okay, okay. So i I would say in terms of, especially when I was, when I was an English lit student, I took, I took a lot of classes that I, I do not remember what we read, especially a lot of like, I took like a lot of restoration, English restoration literature classes that I'm like, read these weird old plays and stuff. Um, but I, I was, I was most into at that time. I was most into probably Kurt Vonnegut was one, was, Mm -hmm. was, probably favorite author. Although I would say my favorite Waterhouse Five or uh, Yeah. 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 I mean I would say my favorite book though is actually probably um Franny and Zoe by JD Salinger. Um, I love that book. Easy read. Um quick read and I love it. Um but I didn't really read a lot of that stuff for English lit. A lot of my English lit stuff was very sort of um uh kind of I guess more scholarly and a more about historical context stuff and not really the stuff I'd read for fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember it that well. And then, you know, movie-wise, I you know me, I just like geeky movies. So, I don't know about that. What about you? What was your major?
0: I was a economics and a history major, so my okay. favorite economist was, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me tell you the theory of my uh, favorite supply and demand. That's <laughs> what I loved reading back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, no, as far as books, uh, my, sort of my favorite books, uh, you know, and it, it wasn't anything, I, I don't think I was, um, um, I, I, you know, I love traveling. Traveling is like one of my favorite things. So I always, uh, loved the sun also rises by, uh, Hemingway. Uh, and I tried to relive that when I was, uh, in, um, Hey, I, after college, my uh, best friend and I we traveled around, backpacked around Europe, and so we went and ran with the bulls in Pamplona, and went to San Sebastian, went to you know Paris, and we tried to do all that kind of stuff. And uh, and then on the road by Jack Kerouac, that's also one of my favorites. Right. Um, I was also wondering if you had a favorite legal movie, Um, and, and I think there's one that we all sort of agree on, uh, which I'll just say is my cousin Vinny. Um, yeah, it, it's got so many great parts in it, and if. I think every lawyer has seen that movie. And if you haven't, you, you have to go out and watch it. I mean, it's just,
1: yes. So good. So good. I love it. I love, um, the, um, is it the rainmaker where, with Matt Damon and, um, you know, that's got the right. scenes yeah, yeah. with him and,
0: yes. uh, the deposition scene. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, that yeah, is yeah.
1: like yeah. very relatable to yeah. a new mm-hmm. lawyer. Yep. Um, and then I would say this one's kind of borderline, but, um, it's, but it is technically a legal movie, but Primal Fear with um, Richard Gere and Ed Norton.
0: Right. Um, I don't want to. There's a, there's a su- yeah, surprise. Twist. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. I, I don't really remember much about the movie other than the twist. But uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, you
1: got I mean, no one can ruin that movie for you. It should be a crime yeah. for yeah. somebody to ruin yeah. that movie. Yeah. Um, what about you s- other than My Cousin Vinny?
0: Yeah, My Cousin Vinny, I think, is my favorite. I I, I really like A Few Good Men. I, I do think that some of those courtroom scenes are realistic. Now, some of it, yeah. you know, maybe is a little overblown, um, you know. And then I like A Civil Action um, because I guess I like the idea of, you know, you're trying this case, you're doing well and you're getting money put on the table and you're like, no, we're going to roll the dice. And then you lose. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's realistic in that way. Yes. Uh, and, and I mean, and it is based on a, a and a, um, uh, a real uh, case. Um, so um, yeah, so th- those are some of my favorites. I also will say that well, I always uh, I, I like to point to this a lot, but one of the most uh, classic slippery slope arguments that you can ever watch in media is uh, Otter's speech in Animal House. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's about how you know, if you're you know we took a you know is, this isn't about whether or not we you know did things we should or shouldn't with a few women we did. He's like, but if you're going to blame us, then you got to blame the entire fraternity system. And if you're going to blame the entire fraternity system, then you're going to, you're blaming America. He's like, well, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sit here while you badmouth the United States of America. You know, I just love the, like, that is a classic slippery slope argument right there. I mean, it is, it is.
1: That's some, uh, that's some reframing the, uh, (laughs) the issue right there.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right.
1: Masterful. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. That's a
1: good one. Those are fun questions, Steve.
0: Yeah. Well, um, well, we hope everybody uh, sends in some questions. Let's remind everybody how they can send in questions uh, to get answered by either us or our guests or, uh, or, or Raz or, um, uh, you know, um, one way is info at great trials, podcast.com. You can send that's an email and then direct message through Instagram or Facebook. And we are at great trials podcast and send a direct message through that. So, uh, we look forward to receiving questions and, uh, and as always, uh, if you want to rate re- review and subscribe, we always appreciate that. Um, but um, that's it. Anything else about?
1: No, you Steve, you're a, you're a great podcast guest. Thank you for joining me on the show today.
0: <laughs> you, you are the best podcast
1: guest. <laughs> and and Raz, thank you for making a special
2: appearance. Yes, yes, any time. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with, or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've we uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining. And a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com, as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website.
1: Yeah. So check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials Podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at great trials podcast.com note if you have something mean to say we don't have email <laughs> right exactly
0: <laughs> we only need a uh, positive commentary yeah,
1: we're fragile yeah. um you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts apple podcast stitcher spotify google play or wherever again if you have something mean to say um